Welcome to Sophisticated Markers Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 3. Welcome to the program, my friends. So glad you could be here today for what is arguably one of the the biggest guests I've ever had on the program. So uh, put on your marketing seatbelts as we jump into this one. But first... I got to tell you, I am still reveling in the fact that uh, that I think I delivered one of my finest keynote performances ever uh, last week at the Marketo Marketing Nation Summit here in London. Um, for those of you who know, I, I have a background. I was at Marketo for a couple of years. I still bleed purple. If you if you know if you worked at Marketo, you know what that means. Um, but huge room, uh, hell of an audience. Um, Eight hundred to a thousand marketers, I think, were there. And Michael Brenner was the headliner. I, I was just right before him, so I guess I was I was Michael Brenner's opener. But my point is, is that it's interesting to me that every year I develop a new keynote, and it kind of evolves over the year, and, and kind of you know uh, I update it as as the product updates, the narrative, and and my team's digital strategy. But right around October, November, it seems to really gel together perfectly. It becomes like second. Second, uh, second nature to me. After I, I guess after I do this thing forty or fifty times, but uh, so I have three more keynotes to do this year: um, Berlin coming up, and then Tel Aviv, and then one more, and then I'm done. I got to do this all over again. <laughs> so it's it's uh, I, I I'm going to take this moment to uh, to to revel in the fact that uh, Marketo put me back up on stage first time in like four years. <laughs> Uh, and and I feel really good about it. So if you're interested in seeing the presentation, uh, I believe it's recorded. I believe it's online, um, or you could just tweet at me. I can get you the deck and and uh, hopefully the recording as well. But uh, on to my next quick little request, if you don't mind, folks. I don't ask for much. I really don't. But if you could just go to uh, iTunes or Stitcher, hopefully you're already there. And give us a quick review of the show. Well, we'd love to get a five star review, but we'd love for you to be honest. Uh, your feedback is what keeps this show moving forward. So uh, please do that if you have just a moment. It only takes uh, a couple of seconds. And if you do leave a review, tweet it to me at Jason Miller CA or uh, tweet it to LinkedIn MKTG, which is the official LinkedIn Marketing Solutions Twitter handle, and you will be entered in to win a Sophisticated Marketers swag pack. These are hot items, my friends. I promise you that. And... If you don't subscribe to our blog, that's where you can get the latest and greatest info on LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. LinkedIn Sales and Marketing Solutions now is, is, uh we're starting to bring in the, the sales and marketing alignment story on the blog. Uh, plus, my I, I write there once a week on my opinions on trends, topics, digital trends, SEO, you name it. So uh, that's where you get it. We have a pretty crazy long URL, so I'm not going to tell you uh, the URL. But if you just go to Google or Bing and search on EMEA Marketing Blog, E-M-E-A Marketing Blog, we're on page one. We're probably number one there. So you can find us there. You can subscribe there. And one more quick thing before we get into uh, today's guest. We do have a special treat for everyone, uh, our good friends at ImageThink. They have created a visual summary of today's podcast with with our special guest, which I'll announce in just a second. Uh, if you're not familiar with ImageThink, you should be, folks, because ImageThink's a creative consulting firm. They help organizations redraw the rules in business. Uh, so whether you're leading a quarterly strategy session or sharing your keynote stories, ImageThink listens deeply to capture and communicate the essence in pictures so that you can put your biggest ideas into action. I've seen them do this in real time, and you can share their content instantly. It is quite remarkable. Uh, So see imagethink.net for more, and uh, check out today's blog post for a visual summary. Uh, And now on today's guest, I've been working, trying to get uh, this person on the podcast for quite some time. She's been gracious enough to give us some time on her calendar, and uh, our, our, our times just synced up perfectly. So 
Welcome to the Sophisticated Marketers Podcast, LinkedIn's Chief Marketing Officer, Shannon Brayton. Shannon, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Jason Miller. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks for agreeing to uh, be a guest. This is season six, our biggest season yet. Um, so I want to just jump right into the conversation here. And I want to ask you about, you've had a fascinating journey to becoming a CMO um, and from, from a pivot from PR to marketing. I wonder if you can tell me and the listeners a little bit about that journey. I certainly didn't start out to be a CMO, and it's a little bit strange to be here 23 years after starting my career. I um, did exclusively communications, PR, for about 20 years. I worked at five internet companies. I worked at Intuit, Yahoo, eBay, OpenTable, and then LinkedIn, and sort of decided around probably 2012 that I would end my career as a corporate communications expert right about the time that our CEO, Jeff Weiner came to me and asked me if I wanted to be the CMO. And I resisted pretty dramatically. And then I got to know some people in the marketing organization, figured out what they all did and decided, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. So I agreed to do it on an interim basis. And here we are officially two and a half years later. And, and you're enjoying it? I actually love it. I've told people many times that I've learned more in the last two years than I had in the last 10. It's been unbelievably fascinating for me. You know, in regards to uh, to the CM role specifically uh, across different industries, there's some new research uh, that came up from executive firm Spencer Stewart, and they found that the average tenure for a chief marketing officer working for uh, the country's biggest brands has fallen for the second year in a row. Uh, why do you think this is happening? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've read some research, too, that basically says that the average CMO in any industry actually only lasts about 18 months. So I feel good to have just surpassed that. Um, and so far, I'm sticking around. No one's told me otherwise. But I do what I have found in just doing the job in the last two and a half years is that it changes uh, really, really rapidly. And I think, too, what's happening is that a lot of different disciplines are being added to CMOs plates. So I tell people that at LinkedIn, we sort of have everything from the social good team all the way to the pricing strategy and kind of everything in between. And so I think CMOs are having to adapt really, really quickly to a whole new paradigm that's happening in the industry. And it's sometimes really hard to adapt and it's sometimes hard to learn a whole entire new skill. Oh, I, I can imagine. Um, the, you know, to, to carry on or to, to, Follow up with that question, uh, our friends at HBR, Harvard Business Review, they attribute high CMO turnover rate to uh, a, a quote-unquote troubled relationship between the CEO and the CMO and the poor design of the CMO role. So what are your thoughts on, like, what are your thoughts on this, and, and how, do you, uh, how do you engage with, uh, with the CEO? So I saw the same research. It actually said that 80% of CEOs have bad, troubled relationships with their CMO. So I actually shared that on LinkedIn, of course. And I caveated it by saying that I hope Jeff Weiner did not feel that way about me. Thankfully, he did respond to my post and said that he found himself in the 20% camp. <laughs> I think it's partly troubled because I think the expectations sometimes are really unclear. And I think CMOs formerly were essentially responsible for the company's advertising strategy. But what's really happened, especially in the internet space, is you actually need to know a whole host of things. You need to know everything from literally internal communications and how to price and package a, pro a product properly. You need to understand demand generation, product marketing. It's really gotten to be such a fully fledged role. It's different at every company. And I think sometimes those expectations for CMOs are not clearly articulated by the CEO. 
And some CMOs just really want to focus on the creativity while others really think they're business strategists. And I think the CEO has to be really clear with the CMO what he or she is looking for out of that role. Are you a business strategist? Are you simply an advertising expert? Are you the creative genius? Are you an customer acquisition expert? What do they really want from that role? And then the CMO has to adapt to get there. So I think that's what introduces some of the trouble. So we talk about the... uh, uh the the new era of the hybrid marketer and how it's important to understand all these these different disciplines and and my belief is you don't have to be an expert in, in any one thing but you do have to understand as a marketing leader how how all these di- how these marketing disciplines kind of work together to form uh, a, a full integrated approach to marketing so is there one uh, discipline of marketing that that you love uh, besides PR of course. I've really loved getting to know more about product marketing and having the product marketers identify the way that customers are using the product and using that to help influence the way that the company creates and launches a product. So I think to have to be a product marketer now, you're really able to kind of see the future, how your customers are using the product in maybe a way that it wasn't designed. Then going back to the product team and saying, hey, did we notice this? And helping that product team figure out how to build something has been a really, really cool part for me. I think um, watching how content marketing has really morphed as well has been a really interesting thing for me too because it's near and dear to what I did for 20 years in the communications field. So I really love that too. And it's been really fun for me as well to sit in some of the creative reviews and really look at the way that we want to represent the brand externally and internally. And so that leads perfectly into my next question for you, Shannon. Um, back to your back to your background uh, as a CMO with with PR DNA, um, which is what I read in one of your articles. Uh, what lessons for marketers can you share uh, from your experience there, and in, in, in bringing the two together? I think more and more what we're really seeing is that those two disciplines, communications and marketing, are really starting to converge. That's something that we're seeing in the internet industry even more often. I can think of five examples of late where the chief communications officer ended up becoming the chief marketing officer. And I think a big chunk of that is these two disciplines are essentially becoming, how do we tell the story of the company? How do we want to represent the brand externally? And so with the convergence of it, I think that CMOs that have PR DNA are really able to identify clearly, this is who we want to be as a company. And how do we think about that externally and internally? And so I think there was a little bit of resistance, of course, I don't want to paint a perfect picture of when I took the role of how was I really going to help any of these marketers get onto a career path that didn't involve communications, given that that's what I had essentially done. But I think what we have found is that we're essentially doing the same thing where we are all trying to figure out how do we tell the story of the company. And so everyone has gotten on board with trying to understand that we're all doing the same thing. We just do it in different ways. And so that's where I think the convergence is really, the lines are starting to bleed, essentially. And, and Shannon, we're connected on LinkedIn, uh, and I follow you on Twitter. And you're very active on... on uh, Thank you, Jake. You're very active on LinkedIn. And I'm wondering, um, what's your strategy uh, for, for engaging on LinkedIn specifically? And then what benefits do you see from, from actively you know, keeping that, that engagement consistent and, and doing it on a, a daily basis? So I should tell you, when I first got to LinkedIn, I was not a big social media person. I'd only been on Facebook a couple of years. I barely had a Twitter account and I didn't use LinkedIn at all to share. I basically just used it for my profile. So I've had to come all the way around to really realize the importance of social media to somebody's personal and professional brand. I do put definite thought into it. I don't just share anything and I don't just like anything. 
What I have definitely tried to do is not to share LinkedIn articles because I don't want people just feeling like I'm a shill for the company or that I'm only promoting the company. I really try to be diverse in sharing things about leadership. I try to write posts that take learnings that I've had and making the transition in my career and how other people can apply that. I definitely have used it as well to help recruit individuals who all of a sudden see me and think that might be somebody I want to work for or LinkedIn looks like a great place to work or LinkedIn marketing and communications is a team I want to be a part of. So I think about it as a recruitment tool in many ways. And from a retention perspective, I think that employees enjoy actually seeing their leaders share and open up on social media. Now I do it appropriately and I do put some guardrails around it, but I do think that that's been a nice thing when I bump into someone in the hallway who says to me, oh, I saw your article and I really loved it, or I saw what you shared, or we engage on LinkedIn. I really enjoy that. I'm a little more careful on Twitter. I think that Twitter has become much more of a politically charged venue. And so I am somewhat mindful about what I retweet and like on Twitter. Got it. You're, uh, there was a there was an article I was reading in Marketing Week recently here in the UK, and you were you were quoted in there um, about the skills that marketers need to become leaders. Now, leadership to me is a topic that is uh, terribly undercelebrated in the world of marketing. Um, I don't think there's a lot of great conversation around it. I don't think there's a lot of great content around it, um, specifically for marketers. But uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what what's your advice for marketers who are looking to you know step into leadership roles? Uh, can can you touch on that for a minute? Yeah, of course. So a lot of people on my team will come and sit down with me. And they'll ask me, what does it take to be a CMO? And I don't, of course, know all the answers, and I'm certainly not an expert, but I have come to put together a two-part list. And one is the hard skills. What are the things you really actually need to be good at from a actual skill and expertise perspective? And never, I'm never going to be a complete expert in any of these things, but as I tell everybody, I like, I know just enough to be dangerous on all of them. So that's helpful. So we make a list of You need to understand how to package a product. You need to have some kind of gut for creativity. You need to understand a marketing funnel. So we do some hard skills. And then on the softer skills, this is really where I think it goes back to your earlier question about the tenure, is that some CMOs are not able to make that transition into a leadership role. You need to also, you need to be creative and you need to be all the things we just talked about, but you also need to be decisive. You need to be inspiring. You need to understand business strategy. You need to be a business leader and not just a creative marketer. You need to really understand how what you're doing impacts the business. And so hard skills and then softer skills, I think finding that blend can be really challenging. Do, do, you, do you agree, though, that there's, the, there's an opportunity for someone to step up and, and talk more about leadership and marketing? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, a few of the posts that I've made on LinkedIn have generated a lot of traction. And I think that it's partly because there's not a lot of authorities on the topic of leadership and marketing. And so I think I'm not I'm certainly not saying I'm the only voice on it, but it's something I've enjoyed. And I think there's a dearth of it. Shannon, I want to talk about something that's uh, that's top of mind for a lot of marketers um, and and certainly something I've been paying. I've been seeing kind of bubble up. Uh, on LinkedIn recently as well. And it's the topic of employer brand versus talent brand. Uh, and I'm wondering, it can be a little bit confusing. Can you share your thoughts on on uh, what these two things are? And uh, are the lines between these becoming blurred as well? I definitely think there's some blur there, for sure. I think we, talent brand and employer brand, those are two 
dimensions that did not really exist five years ago. I don't think people really understood that companies have brands as well, and that helps them attract the right type of talent. So the one distinction I would make is an employer brand is, who are you as a company? What kind of mission do you have? What kind of perks do you offer? What kind of people do you hire? What kind of buildings do you have? What kind of um, value props do you offer to your employees? So I think that's more core to the actual company, the employer brand. Who are you? Are you a work-life balance company? Are you a hard driver? What kind of CEO do you have? What do you value? So that I would put in that bucket. On the talent brand, I think it's more how do you look at talent that comes through the door and how do you decide if it's someone you want to bring into the company? So that matters because you look at the values of the company and you think, Does this, is this person somebody that represents the values of the company and would do well here? And so I think that's more the talent brand as part of, yes, this is an employer I want to go work at, or yes, this is a person we want to go hire. Does that make sense? Where the two kind of have some overlap, but a little bit of blurring too. Yes, of course. And you mentioned uh, work-life balance. I'm wondering, uh, is there such a thing as work, work-life balance in your opinion? Is that possible to achieve in 2017? It's so hard. Uh, you know what's funny, Jason? This morning I read a New York Times article that said working nine to five is for losers. Um, I don't <laughs> <Ouch>. necessarily, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with that. In fact, I think if you can get to a place where work and life are harmonized or integrated, I think I heard Jeff Bezos say that that he believes in work-life harmony as opposed to balance. It's really hard to shut off these days and have a nighttime where you're doing nothing related to work or not thinking about it at all. But I think a lot of it comes down to the boundaries that you create for yourself and you decide, look, I yoga is so important to me. I'm going to leave at five o'clock every day. Maybe I get online later, but I'm going to leave. So I think the thing I try to tell employees that struggle with this is to make sure that the work-life balance is in your hands and that you're making the calls that work for your life, as opposed to feeling like you have to be at work in a, at a certain period of time and do X number of tasks. Take the control back is what I'd sort of say. You know, um, our uh, I have a two-year-old daughter, and our nanny, um, she just got back from a 10-day meditation camp where she could not speak for 10 days. Completely unplugged. How'd she do? Uh, she came back. Uh, she looked great. She was. <laughs> she said it was the biggest challenge of her life. But she literally did not speak for ten days. I I could not do that. Could you? Could you do that? No, a hundred percent. No. In fact, I know people <laughs> that have done it, and I I think it sounds harder than a marathon. I'd rather run a marathon than a ten day meditate meditation silent retreat. I I'd rather attend uh, a weekend uh, insurance seminar than uh, than try to attempt that. But that's another story. Uh, Shannon, can you give me um, a, a day in the life of Shannon? Can you walk me through your day? I'm, I'm sure I'm curious to see uh, how you spend your day and, and uh, what that looks like. And I'm sure the listeners are as well. Okay. And if you have questions about what I cover, don't hesitate to ask me. I get up at five o'clock every morning. I check the news and read my email from about five to five thirty. I get ready for work. I drive to the office at about six ten. I'm in the parking lot at six forty. I have some breakfast and some coffee and I do email from seven to eight. And then my meetings start from eight solid till four. In that time, I do a whole variety of things. I spend about 60% of my time on team and talent, which at LinkedIn talent, we consider the people here our number one priority. So I feel like that's pretty aligned for me, but I do a lot of meetings with people about people. 
I do a lot of business strategy meetings. I spend time with customers during that time. I spend time with the executive team. I do a lot of mentoring and coaching. I leave at four o'clock. I drive home. I go <laughs> do my second job, which I have two kids as well, five and seven. And we do dinner. We do homework. We do stories. We do the whole routine. And I am trying to be better about not doing email at night and instead watching some Netflix, doing a little binging and I'm asleep by 10 o'clock every night on the dot. Um, now that's during the week. I'm a little more fun and flexible on the weekend. I will have, you know, <laughs> what, what are you, uh, what are you binging on on Netflix right now? Right now I'm watching a show called disjointed with Kathy Bates. Oh, I like Kathy Bates. She's, she's good. Have you seen, have yeah, you seen... she's really good. At this. I, I highly recommend it. Have you seen glow? No. Oh, that's a good one, Mark Marin. It's a, it's a it's a hot one right now. Um, Shannon, uh, is that gorgeous, ladies of wrestling? That it it is indeed. It's a Netflix original, and uh, the the it, it looks kind of silly, but then it hooks you pretty quick and, and it draws you in. So uh, uh, be be warned. Okay. I saw it advertised. It, okay, thank it, you. It's definitely worth your time. Um, in the you mentioned coffee too, Shannon. What do you what's what's a coffee drink? Are you a latte or do you go standard uh, drip coffee? Where are you at there? I'm an Americano, so two shots of espresso, hot water, and a tablespoon of half and half, if you must know. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the uh, since I've moved to the UK, uh, I've had a new appreciation for coffee. What do you think is better, uh, coffee in the States or coffee abroad? Coffee abroad. I lived in um, Switzerland for two years, so I got very addicted to European coffee. I will tell you one funny thing. I had decided to give up coffee before I went to Europe. So I'd been off coffee for about a year, had really gotten over all the cravings, didn't even think about it anymore. I get to Europe and every single person I meet my first two weeks is, hey, let's meet for a coffee. Let's meet for a coffee. I got addicted again very, very quickly and have never looked back. And that was 13 years ago. <laughs> do you have the afternoon coffee too? Or is it just the morning? Oh, yeah. I Unfortunately, I do a two o'clock one. I do not drink coffee <laughs> past four, though. Otherwise, I would miss my 10 o'clock bedtime. All right. Enough about enough about coffee. Uh, but that's interesting. I'm a big you coffee fan. You about my wine habit. Your what? My wine habit. What time does wine start? Uh, 6.15. <laughs> uh, Merlot, uh, white, red, what, what, what's your, what's your, I'm going to guess uh, white in the summer, obviously, right? Rosé? Yeah, I'm a Chardonnay drinker. Oh, the Chardonnay. Yeah, Rosé too. Love, love Rosé. Rosé all day. Uh, I like I I'm, I like the big bold reds. So uh, I like I like my I like the dangerous wines. Uh, I guess you would call it. So what's yeah. your favorite? Um, probably probably a, a, a I don't know. I mean, it, it depends on on the meal, of course. But um, uh, probably just a nice big bold red cab, or uh, maybe um, I'm I'm blanking. I, I wasn't expecting to have to ask ask answer this question but anyway. and are you italian wine or are you napa california wine uh italian all the way but i do like okay <clears throat> um malbec so i'm gonna punch i'm gonna punch that in i'll go with a, i'll go with a malbec any day of the week so if there's a malbec on the on the menu i'll take it uh any day of the week so um speak <laughs> anyway uh i want to talk a little bit about uh inspiration something that's uh near and dear to my heart and something that fuels my, my, my day as a marketer. Um, Shannon, who inspires you as a marketer? Uh, who's, in, who's in the space that you follow, that you admire, who, uh, who just inspires you to do good things? So I would say that um, the person that comes to my mind, and this is not because you're in London, but is um, British Airbnb CMO Jonathan Mildenhall. I think what they've been able to achieve from a branding perspective in a very short period of time has been really heroic. So Jonathan is definitely inspiring to me. He is someone who came from consumer packaged goods, adjusted to the internet really quickly, 
and was really able to have impact at Airbnb in a very short amount of time. I think you can see it in their ad campaigns, the stances they take on issues. I think that's been really inspiring to watch his journey. I'm also inspired by a friend of mine who also lives in London, and that's not because you're sitting in London, Jason, but she is the woman who created the brand at Virgin America, so Richard Branson's American version of the airline. And she's been really inspiring, too, to really take an airline that doesn't always have the best affinity and really create something that people loved and wanted to fly on an airplane. Um, and they got acquired by Alaska, but watching what she did was really inspiring to me as well. And her name is Luann Calvert. It's interesting because when I think of Virgin, um, I, I think here's a brand with a stance, right? They're not afraid to take a stance on something. They're not afraid to voice their opinion. And sometimes it comes back to, to, to bite them a little bit, but they always stand. Uh, they know who they are. They know what they stand for. They know what they don't. So that's uh, that, to me, it's a brand taking a chance, and uh, I really respect that. And Richard Branson, I think, here in the U.K., He's sort of like a like a marketing Batman, if you will, because I think whenever something happens in this in this in the UK, you know Brexit, for example, I think folks look to him, which is remarkable. Uh, a CEO of a company, they look to him to see what he's going to, to maybe inspire them or to or try to maybe tell them that everything's going to be okay and lead them in a, in a right direction. So um, he's a really inspiring marketer. Yes, he's a CEO and a founder and a billionaire, but he's really a marketer. He's been able to take that brand and really extend it in a very consistent, inspiring way. And they're in so many different industries, you don't even realize it until you really pay attention. But he's been able to keep that consistent. That's really challenging when you are all of a sudden in records and space travel. And you've, uh, do you have a seat on uh, SpaceX? I do not. I have not been offered a seat on <laughs> SpaceX, unfortunately. But you've met Richard before, correct? Have you met Richard? I got to interview him. Yes, I got to interview him last October and uh, talk about an inspiring person. Yeah, it was incredible. Wow. Very cool. Um, Shannon, a couple more questions for you. Thank you again for your time today. Um, I got to ask this question, uh, the future of marketing, what's your take on it and where do you think it's heading over the next few years? I think the future of marketing is a little bit what I talked about before, so I don't want to feel redundant to you, but I think the future of marketing is it's not about buying advertising anymore, just like I don't think PR is about pitching reporters anymore. I think the future of marketing is a very fully fledged business strategist where you're looking at many different dimensions of the company and adding some serious impact. I think that the convergence of marketing and communications is a really important and real trend that's happening. And I think that's becoming the future too, where these two disciplines are essentially becoming harder to differentiate and people are having really interesting careers doing both, which never used to be the case. Excellent. Shannon, uh, the last part of the uh, of the show here, we like to do a little fun segment called Marketer or Rockstar. Um, I'm a big uh, music fan, of course. Are you a music fan, Shannon? I am. Not like you, but I am. Not to, not to the extent that you are. <laughs> uh, can you give me a top three favorite bands of all time real quick before we get started? Everything But The Girl. Oh, interesting. You too. And Don't Judge Me. But I love Coldplay. Oh, there's nothing wrong with Coldplay. That's uh, that's. A I disagree. A lot of people tease me for liking Coldplay. When you think of individuals, I think Bruno Mars, enormously talented. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Everything but the girl. Uh, I worked in a record store when that record came out. That thing was huge. I actually saw them, I believe I saw them live a couple of times. I think they might have toured with Cade's Choice, if you remember that band uh, from the 90s. <laughs> I think that's true, but I that used to be the album that I would put on. By the way, this is when it really was an album. 
or a CD. Remember CDs? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to put that on when I needed to write something that was like my writing music. And I still, when I hear it now, I literally like need to, my fingers need to find a keyboard. You know, it's funny. CDs are still very popular here in the UK. There's a record store right behind the LinkedIn office here. But uh, I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, so the segment is called Marketer or Rockstar. And so over the years, I love a good marketing quote. I love a good quote from a rock star. Those two things that inspire me. Um, but I started to see some similarities between the two. And so I, I started this little game um, a couple seasons ago where uh, we basically, I, I have six quotes here. I read the quote to you and you just have to guess whether or not it is a marketer or a rock star who said that. Are you ready to play the game, Shannon? Yes, what a fun idea. I'm ready. I'm nervous. All right. All right, here we go. Uh, this, These are my notes. It's on um, A4 size paper because I can't figure out how to get the uh, printer to go back to the default. So every time I walk into a meeting, I'm walking in with the big, I'm the big paper guy. All right, here we go. I love it. Um, rules are important, but they're temporary and they're always supposed to be changed. Marketer or rock star, Shannon? Marketer. I'm sorry, that would be incorrect. That is uh, Johnny Lyd- Johnny Lydon, uh, better known as Johnny Rotten, the singer of the Sex Pistols uh, from the UK. Used to rehearse right behind the UK office here in London. Shannon, we're off to a good start. Let's go with... Uh, <laughs> Not so much. Um, here's another one. Um, what I lack in talent, I compensate with my willingness to grind it out. That's the secret of my life. Marketer or rock star? Marketer. That is correct. That is Guy Kawasaki. Um Back on our roll here. Um, how about, here's one for you, Shannon. Reading's the only thing that allows you to use your imagination. Marketer or rock star? Rock star. That, uh, very good. That is Lemmy Kilmeister from Motorhead. Uh, another nice. le- legendary legendary band from the UK. Uh, a couple more for you here, Shannon. I choose the opposite thing of what I think it is, and then I'm going to, and then I, I think that's going to be working. <laughs> We'll see if that's we'll see if that strategy can. You're actually you're beating everyone so far. Uh, everyone I've asked this to, you're you're even beating Seth Godin, who uh, yes, <laughs> played this I game a couple Seth of weeks ago. Oh, you know Seth? He was just on the show. Well, I was at Yahoo when we acquired his company, Yo-Yo Dine. So I met him that way. Oh, very interesting. He's a he's a brilliant marketer. Um, yes. Here we go, Shannon. Marketer or rock star? You need a little bit of insanity to do great things. Marketer or rock star? I'm going to go marketer. That would be wrong. That is Henry Rollins, the great Henry Rollins, um, spoken word punk rocker. Um, let's see. I got a few more here for you, Shannon. How about um, knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens? Marketer or rock star? That's a good quote. Rock star. That is correct. That is Jimi Hendrix. I got two more for you. Um, and we'll see if we can finish strong, Shannon. Nicely done on that one. Two more for you. Um, Market or rock store, the downside to being outrageous is that you have to go around explaining yourself to people. Marketer or rock star? Marketer. That's uh, that's a rock star. That's Mr. Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> oh, I just saw Ozzy Osbourne. I ran into him. He was shopping at the Gap in Hawaii. Oh, that's not true. You you. <laughs> I, I, it's a true story. I saw Sharon and Ozzy at the Gap in Maui, in Hawaii, and they were at the Gap. <laughs> It's a true story. <laughs> I don't know what's I don't know what's funnier, Ozzy in Hawaii or Ozzy at the Gap. I mean, uh, I don't know. I ran into Dave Grohl uh, in Hawaii. Um, he's not he, at the I Gap. Actually, no, he he doesn't shop at the Gap. But uh, I I did run into him. I seem to see him everywhere. I also saw him at a Scissor Sisters concert. Um, really nice, really nice guy. Have you ever met Dave Grohl? Maybe you guys are maybe you guys are supposed to be kindred spirits somehow. 
Uh, you know, when I was in my metal band in the 90s and I had really long hair, I would often get mistaken for Dave Grohl. Um, I can kind of see that, actually. <laughs> Not Dave Navarro, but Dave Grohl. Uh, it was, it was pre-Beard uh, as well. All right, one last one for you. This is an easy one. Shannon, uh, marketer, a rock star, you don't have to be great to be successful. Just look at Phil Collins. Marketer, a rock star. <laughs> How mean is that? I'm going, you know, that's my first concert I ever went to was Genesis. Um, I'm going to go rock star. That was, that is the, uh, the always entertaining Noel Gallagher, um, who is just a oh, quote nice. machine. Yes. Uh, first, was it yes. on the Invisible Touch tour? <laughs> or was it earlier? Well, I was, was in it... fifth grade. So let's do the math here. It was 1985. Um, that was not the Invisible Touch tour. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Yeah, it might have I been think... the Susu Studio tour. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, either way, uh, two, two, uh, two great songs and two great albums. Uh, Shannon, actually, Shannon, thank you so much for being on the program today. Uh, lots of fun. Lots of uh, thank you for talking about. <laughs> I'm still got this picture of Ozzy. <laughs> it was so funny. You can't even find a way to close it. Was it my Susu Studio? <laughs> On the next episode of the Sophisticated Marketers Podcast, get ready. This one, this one's going to rock your socks off, folks. Brad Gillis from Night Ranger. He's a founding member of Night Ranger. You're wondering, what the hell is the guy from Night Ranger doing on a marketing podcast? Watch this guy on LinkedIn. The way he uses it to connect to opportunity will blow your mind. Uh, and there's a few rock and roll stories in there in the meantime, too. But uh, lessons in marketing from a rock and roll guitar hero. Brad Gillis will be our next guest on the Sophisticated Marketing Podcast. You don't want to miss this one, folks. And don't forget uh, that to go see our friends at imagethink.net for today's uh, visual recap of the journey. And uh, we will have one of these for every single episode. Uh, I got a sneak peek into the Brad Gillis one, and it could be uh, one of my favorites. So, folks, remember to keep your content tight and your messaging right. If it ain't relevant, it's just noise.